Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Andre, take it away. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks a lot uh, for being here in person, but also uh, being here uh, virtually and watching uh, this uh, panel from your home or your office or wherever you are using the 5G networks that we have available for us. Very happy to be here today moderating this panel. Uh, let's do a quick uh, intro round. So I will start with the names and the titles, but then uh, everyone will have a chance to uh, do two, three minutes uh, of an uh, intro themselves. So we have here a great panel that includes Francois Dutiel, uh, Telco Security Technologist at Red Hat, Gunnar Stanbergs, VP CTO and member of the management board at LMT, Piotr Linke, Mobile Networks Security Consultant at Palo Alto Networks, and uh, joining us online is uh, Jerry McQuaid, Director Telecoms and Internet Security at Ofcom. Please give a warm round of applause to our great panel today. Now, let's talk a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and uh, what uh, and the way your views are informed on this particular problem. Uh, so, Francois, can, can we start with you? Uh, sure. What is it that you're doing, and uh, what is your general stance in this conversation? Sure. Thank you, uh, Andri. So, I'm working uh, for Red Hat. I'm based in Belgium. I'm a solution architect, so dealing with telco cloud uh, security. I'm also involved into this uh, open run security as the voting member for Red Hat in the working group 11. Working Group 11 is the security focus group in the ORAN uh, Alliance. And part of my time, I'm answering tenders, so technical questions. So it's, uh, it's a good way to see also where this uh, security aspect of Open RAN is, is evolving over time. So that's basically what I'm doing most of my time, meeting customers, uh, mainly in, in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Great. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Now, uh, Piotr. Thank you. Um, I'm one of the mobility security consulting engineers at Palo Alto. I'm part of a bigger group, service provider overlay. Um, my background, um, I think I stopped at 3G. Um, I was on a team deploying 3G and then I focused on uh, IT security, uh, like a deep knowledge, like um, hacking, uh, reverse engineering, writing malware, exploiting, uh, and so on and so on. And then I came back to the industry um, when, uh, when there was a noise about 5G, because it mm. looked like um, 5G is actually adopting, um, let's say, all the IT um, mechanisms that are very popular within the enterprises. So combining the knowledge of mobile networks and IT security, um, I joined Palo Alto. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Uh, Gunars? So I'm Gunnar Danberg's CTO and uh, member of the management board in Latin Mobile Telephone Company. My background is radio engineer and I am with company for about already 31 years from, uh, from the very beginning and establishing of company. We started with NMT 450, Oof. then, yeah, <laughs> it's in 1991, and then uh, GSM, UMPS third generation, LTE, and now we're starting and developing very successful 5G. So thank you for being here, and let's speak a little bit about next step <laughs> about OpenRAN. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Uh, Jerry, your turn. 
Yes, thank you, uh, Jerry McQuaid. Obviously, my name, um, I look after what's called the Telecom Security Act and the NIS Directive in the UK. Um, I'm an engineer, um, but I, not just in technology, I strongly believe in including physical and human security aspects as well when we're securing our systems. Um, in a many previous lives, but yeah, I've worked for Ericsson for a number of years when 2 and 3G were new. Um, so that's a while ago, then I moved to Vodafone, I looked after their national security obligations around the world, from from the seabed to the sky, so to speak. Um, so able to subcomment, and then uh, in parallel I looked after the uh, Etsy committee um, and was heavily involved in the standardization. So 5G, ORAN Alliance, etc. Um, and yeah, now I'm in Ofcom after a, a diversion. A, a, a critical thing for me here is that ORAN is uh, treated similarly in many ways to all the other components that we have for our telecom ecosystem and, and supporting our, uh, and I use the word ecosystem quite um, uh, overtly because we need to support our vendors and our standardization bodies in order to deliver for the operators themselves. Right, so it's great to have people sitting in very different parts of the uh, supply chain uh, for uh, telecommunications uh, solutions, and I do hope that we will have some diverse uh, points of view and opinions uh, to discuss in this panel. Before we dive into that part, I would really love to set up the scene a tiny little bit. I do have to say sorry to the people who are very uh, knowledgeable about uh, this topic, but uh, to make sure that everyone understands what we are talking about and why we are talking about this topic, I would really want to uh, set some definitions and some general understanding of why this actually has become a, an issue and why we need to come together uh, to discuss it. So, uh, Francois, if, we, if you can start uh, helping us out uh, with some stuff. So, what is actually Open Run? What are we talking about here? Okay. Um. I hope that most of the people... Yeah, I do, no, I do no, hope so as well, but no, like we have no, to start Know what it. it is, but I'm happy that you did not ask me the question, what is Edge, because uh, usually it's much <laughs> more difficult. So, But I think, you know, the, the Open RAN for me is uh, an industry movement about trying to get market diversification because of a lack of, uh, of different RAN vendors, so mm -hmm. uh, and a high dependency. So I think we've been all hearing about high-risk vendors and so on. So I think it has been broad like what can we do in order to have like new vendors more vendors into the the run and it led to a disaggregated architecture basically so so it's a new architecture which allow new vendor to to enter the market but of course when you are doing this re-architecture it's introducing like more interfaces interface that needs to be defined standardized so this is what Open RAN is, but just to make the story more complete, I think like one, two years ago, there was still a lot of confusion because people used Open RAN in one word, in two words, they are speaking about ORAN. And I think your question is more like, what is Open RAN being two words, which is an open right. radio access architecture, but there is also Open RAN in one word, which is a telecom infra project which has the ambition to realize an open run architecture and they are basing themselves on 3GPP specification and ORAN alliance specification as input. So I think it's good to know that there is the concept of open run, there is open run which is the TIP project and there is the ORAN which is like standing for the ORAN alliance which is a community of service provider, 
of vendors of research and academia that are complementing the 3GPP specification, redefining the architecture and this interface. So at the end, even if the question was simple, you can spend a bit of time to clarify the, the, the terms. I, I really like this, uh, uh, this event in general. Like, uh, whenever you ask someone a very simple question, they are always able to make it complicated. So thank you, friends. So you, you never disappoint. So OK, so for now, we're going to keep things uh, more on a conceptual level, but I'm sure that we're going to uh, dive deeper into the actual applications later in the conversation. So I will, I will switch to Piotr. And uh, so what, uh, what is the difference then? So we have this uh, open run concept, open run approach. Well, how is it different uh, from what we are using right now in the current uh, 5G networks uh, that uh, we are using in our daily lives. Okay, so there's, let's say, openness. Um, it's also introducing risks, right? Uh, it had to be open because, <clears throat> um, just like uh, Francois said, um, the more players on the market, then the bigger chances that uh, the solution is going to be cheaper. And um, let's say, because of the commercial model, um, I think there are a little bit of uh, compromises uh, mm. when it comes to, let's say, the potential capabilities of the platform from the security perspective, um, as well as, um, let's say, uh, the, um, the, the best practices uh, that, that, that could be actually applied um, to such applications, right, because it's all, all applications. Um, it's still it's still developing. Um, I had a chance to read uh, all the paperwork that your group has created. Uh, I think the last published information was from from June. Um, it, it looks really promising. Okay, there are still couple couple of things missing, in my opinion. Um, for example, the only vulnerabilities that can be out there are related to the open source. Well, that's not necessarily true because the custom-made applications, they are also vulnerable, it's just that we don't know about them, right? So there is no one basically fuzzing them, reverse engineering, brute forcing, and so on. I think on the last session, someone said that, you know, uh, hire a hacker to catch a hacker, basically. So um, maybe, maybe the, as a suggestion uh, to the group, maybe you should also try to look at some people from the external, let's say, uh, security communities that would have a different point of view, different aspect, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely different uh, approach. It's, uh, it's more open, but on the other hand, it doesn't give, in my opinion, all the possibilities to secure that openness. Right. Perfect. Thank you so much. So, uh, Gunars, you are a representative of a network operator. So, in your point of view, so how closely are you following this development, and what do you think would be the benefits for you as a network operator of implementing deploying Open RAN in the, the networks that you run? Yes, of course, we are following what's going on on, on this stage. And as medium-sized operators, I can say that we are a little bit hesitant to go very quickly to this mm -hmm. field because we see we already have a very complicated network today for technologies running. Uh, we are running for technologies and, and there will be, of course, we are based almost fully on Nokia. Next uh, all run and fixed partner from Nokia and transmission uh, PTN lines from NEC and uh, where we saw real, real, real problems, it's on the edge of two vendors. In NEC, uh, Nokia, Nokia Ericsson, not major problems in one vendor. 
equipment. So for medium-sized and small-sized operators as we are and some operators in Eastern Europe, we would be very cautious about implementing a lot of new players in our network. In this case, we have to be very sure that it will not lower quality of the network throughput of the network. So, and we are calculating today, uh, looking what's going on in uh, our alliance and what specifications are done there, that it's a very complicated process, especially on the interface between DDU and the radio unit. And if it's max, massive MIMO, that it's for sure, it's, uh, I don't see that it's running at all, because our opinion is that it must be very clear specifications done already on the 3GPP level, uh, that everybody is following it. But we are, of course, what we see is niche for open run, it's uh, on uh, some private networks, which mm -hmm. are only uh, nominally connected to commercial network, and then everybody can do, and we will do it, of course, to test it various suppliers from off-shelf equipment, servers, and so on. But in our commercial network, we will look for one or two years what's going on with all tests. A lot of tests are doing around Europe. So that's our... Right, state. yeah, that makes sense. But still, when you weigh those risks and uh, benefits, what are the benefits? Benefits, of course, would be uh, uh, more players, more vendors in the uh, our... Uh, business and uh, risks, of course, risks is uh, security risk. If we are working, well, if we are, uh, if we are stay for a lot of uh, vendors, then I have to be very sure about all that. Is it Dell, Cisco or open source open run? We have to test every piece of software in this case. We can't trust to any, but right. it's true, yeah. If you um, would like to run it, to be sure there are no open doors in any software in it. Yeah. Makes, no. So it, Makes it will ask yeah. additional uh, money, additional uh, employments in uh, employees, that's for, for sure. And then we have to wait up risks from, mm -hmm. from one sole supplier or three or four suppliers in this case. Right. Yeah. Now your position. But it can course. be calculated. Yeah. Everybody, everything must <laughs> have to be calculated in money, and it can be calculated. Yeah. how much it will cost. Right, thank you so much. And uh, Jerry, I'm going to turn to you now and uh, actually move towards the uh, uh, topic of this conversation, the headline of this conversation. So why are we actually talking about the potential security implications of Open RAN? How are they different of the potential security implications of the RAN uh, solutions that we have at this point? And uh, what do you see as the main security, uh, uh, security uh, threats? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I was usual there's a number of reasons um, and there is no magic bullet here to solve the problem um, it, it's complicated but uh, let, let me go straight to the technical aspects we we can't talk about open run without talking about open source software and i've already heard that earlier on um, and the use of open source software in open run uh, isn't too much different in some cases to the use of open source in our traditional hierarchical or vertical vendors so i wouldn't want anyone to think that the use of open source means that the systems are axiomatically more secure. But there's another step to this, you know, the, the application of secure by design principles at this layer, I, I think will imbuing that into the R&D side of it will ma make a difference. Um, and that's not to say our 
I suppose traditional vendors haven't done that too, but the potential and likely increase in components and interfaces, because remember, we're now standardizing interfaces that were um, somewhat hidden and, and um, from different vendors, that, that is a particular challenge. And ensuring that all those inputs are aligned to the appropriate level of assurance and making sure they all interoperate properly, that's going to be quite difficult. Because security isn't all, you know, security is about availability as well. It's not it's all about confidentiality and integrity. Um, so supply chain risk isn't, isn't, move, isn't removed at all, but it may well be more manageable um, if vendor lock-in is less likely. And I think that's an important thing. If you have one security issue with one vendor, um, there may well be options here in, 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 in the future. Um, I think it's always, and back to Gunnar's point almost, it's worth remembering that operators can't make changes to the networks likely. They have to make sure it works. They have to make sure that the functionality is there. They have to make sure that there's an appropriate level of security assurance. And, and that security assurance level is, is definitely um, changing in terms of understanding. Performance, I know it's a security discussion, so I won't go into details on that, but that, that's another reason why we're talking about Open RAN a lot. Um, Diversity of supply, uh, again, back to that one, whether we like it or not, there are not that many traditional vendors out there. And that is a security and resilience risk in itself. So OpenRAN definitely provides a sound potential for more options to be made available to the operator constituencies. And uh, finally, um, the topic I, I do dwell on a bit is complexity. You know, whilst we envisage that there will be more security controls in more standardized places than we had in the past, there's definitely a complexity in ensuring that they are all appropriately configured or implemented. The availability isn't just enough. And that introduces uh, an, ele an element of vulnerability, uh, usually in the governance perspective as opposed to the technology delivery perspective. And but I, I I would like to um, to borrow a phrase and say that's a known known. You know, we we should be able to manage that through better governance. And um, dare I say it, that's something we do require in the UK under regulation. Right. And I also want to address uh, the last part of this question to the rest of uh, uh, the panel. So what do you think are the main threats uh, when, when you are uh, talking to your customers, for example, when you are talking to your peers about Open RAN, what are the main threats that you are discussing? Maybe I can... I can answer this one. So being part of the, the Iran uh, security working group, I think it's very difficult to say that there is uh, one threat which is bigger than the other, but there has been a, a very structural approach to do the threat model analysis, where um, we've been using the, the stride uh, model uh, from Microsoft, which is about spoofing, tampering, remediation, there is elevation of, of privilege, information disclosure, and DOS. And from, from this threat, they've been mapping this threat to the different assets in the architecture. They've been also identifying mitigation for every of these threats. And they also have been using a model to try to assess the criticality and the impact of this threat. So meaning that at the end of the day, you can have an idea about what's the, um, the type of threat that might be the most prevalent, but I think we should not forget that it's very depending on the deployment model. If you are deploying that in a private cloud or in a, a public cloud, the, you know, the, the severity and the impact might be also different. So, so I think from my perspective, uh, of course, what needs to be done is to make sure that you are protecting these interfaces 
So I think uh, Jerry mentioned integrity, confidentiality, of course, availability is another dimension into the equation, but you need to protect against anti-replay, you need to authenticate, you need to authorize. So, so there is all these kind of five elements uh, that have been looked at and mapped. Um, I would like to rebound on what Piotr mentioned. It's still a work in progress. So it means that the threat model is there, there is specification, but there are still a lot of working group working on that, on different aspects. So, so I think there is not one big threat, but it's a complex stack. Mm -hmm. So the attack can come from the different, uh, from different angles. So, so that's why I, I think uh, I like the Mitre fight uh, model, because it's showing like, you know, what could be the techniques used by attacker to get into a, a 5G, not specifically a radio access network, but at least is building on top of what we have, identifying supply chain compromise, escape to host and things like that. So, so of course, there is no single answer to this no. question. So. No, no, and I understand that fully. So this is the perspective of uh, someone who is in the working group, but that is an, I also wanted to refer this question to Piotr. So from your perspective as a security vendor, when you are talking to uh, companies, network operators, what do you think are the main considerations that they should be mindful of when uh, they are planning this transition um, or even thinking about it? I think the best would be the reference of Tish, uh, our referential customer for the 5G. Um, they, we are basically looking together with them at like three layers in open run. So it's a platform security software platform, whether it's hosting virtual machines or it's the uh, containerized workloads. Mm -hmm. Then it's the workloads themselves, um, secure software su supply chain. Okay, that's very important to basically have a security process before something is loaded into production. Just uh, check it, analyze it, you know, make sure that it's compliant with your risk appetite and standards. And then once it's in, in production, monitor it. Okay, have something basically small that's going to reside next to it and it's going to keep observing what's going on with those network functions. Um, and then there is a third layer, which is basically the, the whole open run functionality, all those interfaces, the, um, all the applications, basically all the modules, the CUDU, the, um, the stuff that is doing the encryption, authorization, uh, key exchange. Um, the community can take, or they can take care of the design of security processes and flows of the workloads, but you still have to secure those IT workloads, okay? You may have the most robust authorization, basically, um, when a component, software component wants to talk to some other component. But if there is a vulnerability in, in the process which is serving that function, okay, it can be exploited. So this whole concept of uh, very complex, robust security will be useless. Because if there is a vulnerability inside of a web server, for example, or a database behind it, which is uh, serving some, uh, some workloads, then attackers will try to exploit that. Mm -hmm. okay? They will not go after the, the logic, the authorization. Is this, uh, Gunnar, does this sound similar to your own considerations when you think about it? Yes, it's uh, quite similar because uh, our opinion here is that uh, they must not be trusted without checking. Mm -hmm. Trust without check is nothing. And even with Nokia, we have 
visited Nokia before. We know all processes of Nokia, their quality standards, they, how they are following these standards, on, even on planning uh, production phase. And it's very essential here with the new suppliers, potential suppliers of open-run parts. We have to be sure that all is aligning with uh, quality and uh, security standards to look on their procedures, how they are keeping up uh, cyber security, how they are tested all uh, their software. It must be done before choosing uh, your vendor. And it must, uh, must not be done only once. It must be done from uh, my point of view. Every, at least every second year when something changes in software, we have to be sure that all is in these parts are cyber secure and all is done at least. It can't be done everything, of course, but at least to, uh, uh, level, uh, to lift up all security levels. So it must be tested and, uh, yeah. for, from our side and from over, uh, every operator's side. Yeah, but having, having multiplied all these tests by the number of uh, vendors that would be coming with the open run uh, solutions. We're coming at a pretty large number of yeah. uh, things that yeah. need to be done before yeah. you can yeah. implement uh, those solutions. Which brings us to another question that I wanted initially to address uh, to Jerry and then uh, for anyone who wants to take it, that with all this um, uh, patchwork uh, that we will be seeing when open run is closer to its implementation, who do you think should be and would be uh, accountable and responsible uh, for uh, the security of the solution? Is it go like, because we have, we have the vendors, we have the actual uh, developers of the solutions, we have the network operators, we have the regulators, Who is, uh, whose responsibility and accountability is it going to be? I get asked this a lot, actually, um, I, and I, I have multiple answers depending on the scenario, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so when, when I'm asked this normally, um, the difference between responsibility and accountability is quite important, actually, and, and that's uh, sometimes the words are conflated um, and they're not. But to be really blunt, and, and if, if I put a legal hat on, um, the operator is accountable for the safe and secure operation <laughs> of their own networks and services. And, and that's the case in most countries. Um, but, but there is a bit more to this, and, and it is incumbent on each and every part of that supply chain to cover the basis of their own uh, products and offerings and services. So the sum of the part is actually achievable in the final system and the operator gets what they need. And that's really, really important. Um, so uh, the difference I think in open RAM is maybe that the system integrator bears a, a little more of this than they might have in the past because you, th there are more, I suppose, parts and components that are become visible that, than they would when you're buying off a single vendor. But um, that combination of inputs that have the requisite secure by design characteristics, if they're not configured properly, we might not get a secure solution, or we might, but I'd, I, I'd almost jokingly say it's set DevOps for the supply chain. Um, and that's driving it down to that individual responsibility. And, and, and I think we need to keep pushing that one. There is a, a real tension here between time to market and willingness to uh, put the time into securing those individual components and um, maybe reducing the pressure at times on, on that delivery of functionality, head of security and making sure that that's secure by design, secure by default, 
ethos is built into that delivery program, we'll actually get what we need. And, and the operator gets what they need, which ultimately is what we want to see. Right. Okay, so Gunnar, you're being thrown uh, thrown under the bus uh, here, pretty obviously. But uh, uh, Francois and uh, Piotr, how do you assess uh, uh, your own responsibility in your own parts of supply chain uh, for the security of an implementation that you are integrating or advising on? I think I fully agree with the single answer of Jerry because at the end of the day he's making a clear distinction between the responsibility, which is kind of split or shared responsibility. <laughs> Um, of the, the vendor that are building the solution and the accountability of the, the service provider. I think we all have a very important part to, uh, to play. Uh, obviously, um, you know, there is nothing really new. We all are moving to cloud platform, so the train left the station. I'm even wondering why Oran is spending still time on, on VM, to be honest. I think uh, the world is already going containers. And of course, because of that, we have a major responsibility to be able to deliver a solution that is going to be free from vulnerability, as you mentioned, because in every layer, you want to make sure that you are not going to be exposed to, to hackers. So, so it's, I think that now we need to, I think we are doing a, a good job in, in trying to implement uh, multiple layer of defense into the cloud platforms, enabling like AZ Linux by default, even providing like Kata container type of technology. So you can really deploy the cloud platform in the way you, in, in the way you want. Um, the, the real question is that, yeah, it's not only, you need to make the end-to-end the, the -end solution work, I think system integrator has been mentioned, so we need also to, to pay attention that when we bring all these Lego pieces mm -hmm. together that we are not introducing a hole in the solution, so I think pre-integration of the solution might be uh, an answer and that's something that as read that we are doing with, uh, with the, the CNF vendor and, and with the hardware provider, so you can have something which is in line with what we want to build in terms of openness, but it's kind of pre-integrated. So it's kind of a middle ground between like a single vendor or versus something you, you get the Lego and you build, you build it yourself. Does it make the solution much more expensive? These additional steps. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, but somebody has to pay for it, yeah. yeah. Is it operator or is it a producer? But it's I'm, I'm, cost, I'm, I'm, it's afra I'm afraid it's going, to be <laughs> it's going to be you again. But finally, <laughs> you know who will yeah. pay for it. Subscribers. Subscribers, yes. Oh, or, or us, or us, yeah. <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah, and at the, end, at the other end, I think, you know, uh, there, is, there is no free lunch. I think, except here in yeah. 5G tech territory, so <laughs> when you can uh, have a free lunch. But at the end of the day, when you get... Uh, a security problem and you get an outage in your network, it's, it's, it's a lot of money as well. So Absolutely. I think the problem uh, that I've seen over the years is that security was al always seen as a, le let's fix the problem when it happens. Mm -hmm. I think we have the opportunity right now with the technology that we have to go very much left, as mentioned by Piotr, we need to start with secure coding. So just testing is not sufficient you need to make sure that the best practice are implemented by the developer because at the end of the day, you are going to enter a different chain. The supplier will have his chain. He will need to provide an evidence of the provenance of his software because 
Even proprietary software, they are you making use of open source? It's off the shelf, you can reuse it, let's take it. But if you don't know what is in there, there is a big supply chain risk. So, so yesterday we, we had this two hours workshop organized by, by us on uh, securing supply chain for 5G. And there are some emerging technology these days where you can get some attestation of provenance. If you make your build in the, the best way, are you free from, from vulnerability? So there are ways to change the game, but you need to have everyone participating to that. Otherwise, you will still be at the end with your security and it will cost you a lot of money. So we are not going to solve the, the price equation, as you, mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Petro, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, so um, looking at uh, all the layers. Now, the responsibility, it is supposed to be shared responsibility, but it's a split responsibility. It's a bit murky, um, blurry. So um, looking at the W11 group uh, documents, um, it's going to be the system integrator who's going to do interoperability testing after there is a software upgrade, for example, in one of the network components. But who's going to pay right, um, to the system integrator? So that, that part is missing. Why would it be system integrator's responsibility, for example? right? Then uh, when I'm talking to network equipment providers, they are like, oh, we have a top-notch uh, software development lifecycle. You don't need to worry about anything. Our products are secure by design. Uh, blah, 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 uh, basically. But uh, then when I talk to their customers, they are like, oh, it's not our problem. Okay, if there is a vulnerability in a network function, it's the vendor's problem. And then the vendor says, well, it's not actually our problem because we are not managing the network anyway, uh, anymore, basically. We, we deployed it uh, and then we handed it over. It's not our responsibility anymore. So it's a bit complex. And the same thing that I'm looking um, at the work uh, group 11 documentation um, appears over there. Everybody is responsible for monitoring for vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So the network function vendor is supposed to monitor and fix them and also bugs, okay? Then you have uh, a service provider that is managing uh, the platform and he's supposed to be or she responsible for uh, also scanning for vulnerabilities in the network function and also in the in the platform. And then there is platform uh, owner, vendor, who's also responsible for doing exactly the same. Okay, so how do they cooperate? What's the SLA? If, for example, you guys find something in the platform or in the network function, uh, how do you, let's say, force uh, fixing this on the vendor? What's the SLA for vulnerabilities and bugs? Okay, And it works the other way. If, for example, you guys in the platform or the network equipment provider in the network function finds a bug or a vulnerability, how would they know that your guys actually running the vulnerable version today and they need to notify you as soon as possible? Who's obliged, uh, what's basically enforcing this uh, disclosure, for example? What's the SLA both ways? When they find something, the customers find something, or it's actually the vendor themselves that found something? Do they do risk analysis? And it's like, nah, no one's going to hack them. Come on, it's a small country. Um, like, how, how, how does it work? Is this something you have solutions for? No, uh, <laughs> very difficult solutions, but uh, if I may uh, say some words about uh, maybe uh, solution is some open run alliance or open run society. I remember the beginning of 90s when NMT system, 
phones were about two kilos and then it developed to handhelds. And there was certification of every phone of society. And every phone to get to put in the system or an empty network got certificate for it, that it's working to for according standards. And maybe here is also some solution that vendors who would like to play in this game, they are putting money in some certification body to get certificate, at least for cyber security, and somebody is tested, some independence. And then it's uh, more easy for me to go for that. I have a chance to have a sneak peek into the TSR and the TSCP, I guess. Um, these are two, there used to be guidelines, they are now, I think, policies, right, for service providers in UK. They had a very good set of practices. Yeah, mm -hmm. the vendor security yeah. assessment. So that's yeah. what we, you know, we, we've been working on that. So I think it's really nice because it's the national cybersecurity of the UK that has been like sending a document which is now an annex or it has been incorporated into the telecom security uh, code of practice, uh, which is a way for a supplier to assess the level of maturity on security for the vendor. So I think it's a, it's a good thing, really good thing. So we, we as Red Hat, we played the game and we answered all these tables one by one and we published that on, on our website. But it's, it requires collaboration because when you're like providing your answer, it can also be used by competition to say, oh, you are not doing that yet and right. so on. So, so there was kind of a debate internally, should we do that, that openly? And you say, okay, we are an open company, so let's do it. So we, we, so we did it and, and some other like Palo did it as, as well, by the way. I want to come back on this, mm -hmm. this SLA just for one, one second. For, for Red Hat, it's very clear. We do have a support policy, which is saying we are going to fix this severity according to our uh, Red Hat severity score, which is an objectivation of the CVSS score of any vulnerability. So we are looking at the CVSS from the NVD. We have a CVE database, and we are getting the score, and we are going to to fix critical important, yeah. low moderate not, but it can be discussed with any customer if they believe that the moderate can have, uh, as mentioned, can introduce a risk. So it's kind of very clear. We are not taking SLA because it's impossible to take SLA in an open source community. You need first to go upstream first to get consensus, get done. But we are kind of publishing a risk report where all our customers can see that over time, we are always kind of decreasing the time to, to fix problem and I think reporting problem there is like this uh, cert and this uh, security product security team where anyone can send uh, a vulnerability if the vulnerability is critical we have an embargo we are discussing with all the stakeholders and then you have the zero day where the patch needs to be already like available if not it's a not fix so so I think of course taking a solution SLA it's still a, a different problem but there is nothing preventing all actors to do the kind of the same for the application. If I have a, a CVE, I commit to that, and, and, that's, and then it's a negotiation between the service provider and the supplier to say, sorry guys, just not acceptable. So we are going to put penalties or we are going to negotiate that we get a better response. But I think there are really things that can be done 
today. Right. Well, that, that, that's uh, that's really good to know. And Jerry, uh, back to the uh, uh, to, to what uh, Gunnar said about the certification body. From the regulatory point of view, is that something you see happening? Having this certification uh, body that would uh, test and certify uh, solutions uh, as uh, uh, secure uh, to be implemented. I have to say, it was lovely to hear the, the reference to the TSA code of practice and um, vendor assessment. I feel my work's done, but um, <laughs> the, in, in terms of certification, so one really important aspect, yeah. just because some something has been tested today and uh, the, the, the situation is demonstrated, uh, uh, the security aspects of the, the product are demonstrated today, the threat changes and the threat will be different tomorrow. And you can no longer rely on that uh, aspect of it. So I think what's actually more important is there's a transparency in terms of the testing and evaluation of the products so that the uh, operator is able to make a risk assessment. And in a year's time, when the threat changes, they can review that and ch potentially change somewhere else in their architecture to mitigate whatever that um, issue or threat is. So it's really important that we don't I, 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 I need to disabuse anyone of the notion that a certification for security is the same as a certification for conformance in, in like we had in, in, in the past. Two quite different things um, could threat change. Right. And before we move on and uh, uh, take questions from the audience, uh, both uh, present here and online, I wanted to come to a question that uh, uh, was uh, voiced in one of our previous conversations before we came to this panel, which is about the computing resources. And because there is an opinion, for example, that there is just not, there may be not enough computing resources within this whole architecture to actually ensure uh, proper proper security uh, with the TLS decryption, for example. So, like, how do how do you address this and like is it actually a problem that uh, can or cannot be solved probably francois is a good uh, person to start uh, answering it no i think the question looks strange to me hmm. because at the end of the day you know when you dimension a system you dimensioning for a specific use case so obviously if you you would go very far into the network like at the edge you might expect to have a limited footprint mm -hmm. then it's a question whether you want to have security or not because of course if you want like to monitor like Piotr means there is no magic <laughs> you need to have something to to monitor what's going on and, and there are nice technology and like eBPF for example that can really monitor what's going on but it's consuming a, a, a part so so I think it's more like the, the dimensioning design the constraints but but I think for me like this encryption and so on is a question about potentially the performance impact you will you will get when when you are doing encryption or mm -hmm. performance on, on, on the yeah, throughput or, or the on the delay so there are, there are always been in the telecom network constraints that are imposing you specific solution i think like 25 years ago i was always hearing these 50 milliseconds i even do not remember why but there was 50 milliseconds i know it was 50 <laughs> so so now I think we, we should not be worried because the, the, way, the way we work in cloud is that you, you do not have like limit of, of compute. It's just if you limit yourself to one compute, yes, you are limited, but normally you should be able to, to scale. Of course, at the edge, uh, 
there are some challenges because you have really limited resources, so you need to make choice about how far do you go with the technical controls. You, mm -hmm. Do you want to have MaxSec, IPSec, and encryptions, and do you have a TPM to store the secret, blah, blah, blah. So it's not, you know, there is, for me, it's a known problem. So it's a dimensioning and cost, uh, cost type of equation. Right. Yeah, so from the business model, right, it has to be cheap has to be cheap and it cannot be over-engineered because, um, well, the, the role is, is pretty simple, right? It is supposed to hook up the radios and then take the traffic, encrypt it, and then s send it to the core. But then customers, they have certain requirements. Like, for example, they want to implement encryption between uh, the radio and the core, like on the N3 and 2 interfaces. Uh, so then you have the security gateway again. Okay, there are multiple open run vendors that uh, they have no capability to basically introduce any encryption on, on the open run itself. So the tunnel has to start of, on the next box, right? So I just uh, spoke with one couple of weeks ago and I was like, why, why don't you put, because it's all uh, containerized, why don't you put like a IPsec, I don't know, FreeSwan or something from, from the open source community and just start encrypting on it? It can talk to anything on the other <laughs> side, right? It's like, ah, oh, we, we never thought about it, you know, <laughs> it's not in the standards. Um, so so it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, then you've got the PKI management. So uh, if there is an encryption between the, um, uh, the, the backhaul and the G-node piece, then uh, customers are worried that basically um, someone will introduce a rogue uh, G-node B and it's not going to present itself with a secure certificate, for example. So then you need to have a certificate management, okay, on, on top of this. So the security requirement, they grow, okay. Um, if um, we continue uh, as an industry um, squeezing uh, v vendors to, to basically make it as cheap as possible, um, then where is the end of it? Like uh, how low they can go? Can they, uh, it has to be um, profitable, okay? Um, otherwise it's gonna be a compromise. Um, so I hope, just, just like you said, that uh, there will be space for security. <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't see how, like, who, so, so then who has to make this balance happen between this being a race to the bottom, but at the same time, not uh, having the price ballooned uh, beyond, uh, beyond all uh, recognition. Like, who, who is it, uh, who is it going to be? Is it going to be the decision basically down, is it down to the uh, network operator of whether they're buying it for a certain price or not? I think it's not easy to answer because at the, at the other end, I think the regulator has a, a role to play, but the question is where do you put the bar? Because if the regulator is putting the bar like too heavily on security, it will get a big opposition from a lot of service provider to say, mm -hmm. no, then we are not profitable anymore and we, you know, it's impacting our plans and so on. So, so it's not easy. I'm really dreaming about like a minimum baseline security mm -hmm. requirement that could be accepted, uh, you know, but I'm a dreamer, of course, by everyone. But still, you still have these national security agencies. Uh, you still have like this country, even if we have ENISA, but uh, and we have lots of initiatives. It would be so nice to have like a consensus about a, a minimum security baseline so that we can go into the economy of scale of everybody reusing the same tools, automation, and so on, and every, everybody agree. I think there are still a lot of fragmentation in the security market, which make the equation yeah. 
very difficult. Yeah. I saw Jerry smiling happily. Jerry, do you have something to, to add here? <laughs> yeah, I do actually, um, as you might not be surprised. So, uh, well, look, in many respects, the, those, some of those questions are answered. Security, there is a cost to security. It's not always as much as people think. Um, if you didn't do it right first time, it's going to cost more a second time around. That, that, so that, that, that and really, that's where that design aspect comes in and driving for good um, security specifications and good standards ultimately means less regulation and better security outcomes in the end. And you don't have to do it twice. But um, we don't argue about better security in air travel safety, do we, at the minute? Um, you know, and uh, you know, we are getting into the world of safety critical systems running over five um, G networks. So we we need we need to bear that one in mind. Um, but it, I, I think it's back to the point: the minimum minimum security baselines. Are, in my opinion, they are very much delivered through that secure by design process in the standardisation bodies and. The more people we have asking the same thing and, and espousing the same opinions and requirements, um, the easier it is actually. And anyone who's a vendor will want that as well, because then they're all working to the same target and the same requirement. Um, and as an operator, you're not worried about your competitor um, getting one over and getting ahead of you by buying the cheaper product and getting away with it. And, and ultimately, I think that, that's where we need to be. But the, the minimum baseline, in my opinion, put it through the standards um, and the risk management. Well, you're very welcome to copy and paste uh, the, what we have here as well. But um, that's more um, seriously, I think the more consistently we ask the same questions of, of everyone in the ecosystem, the better it will be for, for everybody. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So this is a great point uh, to uh, finish uh, this part of the conversation. And if we have a little bit of time, can we please squeeze a couple of questions from the audience, if there are any, and from the online audience. And I'm very curious to learn about the result of that poll of yours. Yes, yes, yes. First of all, let's start with the audience here. There is a question, so let's get a microphone there. And meanwhile, looking at the audience poll, uh, I will bring it up. Okay, I'll one question, sort of, mm -hmm. I mean, as you know, 3GPP and GSMA, they have the security assurance specification. So how do you see this for O-Run? Because you have many interfaces and so on. Do you see something upcoming uh, like security assurance for O-Run in O-Run or in 3GPP? Who would like to take it? I would like, yeah, I will take it. So I think I've not been like seeing anything related to assurance right now in O-Run. I've been mainly focusing on this working group 11 so i uh, the short answer is i i don't know i think assurance is really a, a topic which is dear to my heart because i think we need to as mentioned by gunars we we should not trust we should verify so i think the assurance aspect is one of the key aspects that the industry is currently working on so i think in the us Atis was the first to write a document specifically on 5G supply chain with some level of insurance. What we see in terms of supply chain um, security, we have a framework called uh, SALSA, which stands for soft, uh, Supply Chain Level Software Artifact, which is trying to give a level of assurance for the, the different threats mm -hmm. in the, the software development process. So they, they've been focusing on the build, but you can request now let's say now in the six months or years to come, to your 
provider that is saying, oh, that's my 5G uh, CNF for the radio network. Here it goes. Okay, which level do you have of assurance that you've been doing a good job? Are you level one, level two, level three, level zero? You, you have not doing anything. So you hope that they will be level three so they can prove that they've been doing a good, a good job. I think for uh, 3GPP and ORAN, we are not yet there, mm -hmm. but this is probably an area that is going to grow in the two, three years to come according to what I think, but I hope at least. Thank you, Francois. Mm -hmm. Raja is asking, how can uh, open RAN operators and stakeholders stay informed about the security threats? Any quick tips? Read the papers. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I That's think the only way today. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, the, the, the thing is that um, in order to be informed of the threat, of course, you, you can read the, the paper. There are also threat intelligence. The question, if it's really the threat, I think indeed it's a paper and the threat in, in, in intelligence. Uh, I think security agencies are also sharing uh, some of this. Uh, when it's about the vulnerability, there is a very easy way to get informed. So you can subscribe to, to API, for example, for Red Hat, and then you get like directory directly, regularly, like the new CVEs, the new advisory. So, but it requires uh, an organization because you do not want to be overwhelmed by all the CVE that might be popping up uh, in all the layer of this uh, complex architecture. So, so I think there are ways to get uh, informed, but you need to be uh, able to filter what might be important for your own uh, ORAN architecture. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Looking at the time, we have to wrap it up. Yes, so absolutely. So poll. Yes, on the poll. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to open up the poll as well. So let's check the poll. You had the option to uh, vote all uh, session long. So the question stood, uh, which factor is most crucial for ensuring secure open RAN implementation? And we actually have two winners, uh -huh. uh, both 33%. Uh, First of all, regular security audits and testing, and secondly, collaboration in and information sharing with the industry. Yes. Well, we, exactly there what we, we talked about. Yeah, I think this entire discussion really has uh, shown the importance of, uh, of collaboration indeed between the different uh, uh, stakeholders in the ecosystem. And if there is anything to take away from this panel, it is that it is indeed important and do keep in touch with each other. Do keep coming to these type of events because these conversations are going to be foundational and very important for uh, what uh, we all are building in this industry. At this point, this is all we have time for for this panel. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone who has uh, been joining us online. Thanks everyone who has been here in person. Please give the last round of applause to this great panel. Francois Gunars